I know what it's like to work in B2B and wear a lot of hats. One minute you're optimizing your inbound funnel, the next you're working on a demand gen program, all while trying to keep on top of all the opportunities landing in your inbox. That's why I'm a big fan of Chili Piper and their concierge tool. It's built specifically for marketers like you who are strapped for time and under pressure to deliver results. It uses intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route inbound inquiries from your website to the right salesperson in your organization. And this means that you capture more than the 60% of leads that never convert to a meeting because companies just don't react quickly enough. No leaky funnel, more leads, more meetings, more pipeline. What's not to love? Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com forward slash B2B better to learn more. Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping early stage marketing teams do better than boring work. My name is Jason Bradwell and every week I sit down with whip smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build a modern day strategy that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Ethan Butte, Chief Evangelist at BombBomb. How are you doing, Ethan? Fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me into this conversation. Pleasure to have you. Tell me a little bit about your background at BombBomb, your role, and also I know that you've got a little bit of history working in television, so tell me a bit about that. Sure. I'll start with a uh, current role. I've been the chief evangelist here, which we can talk about if we want to, uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, but I've been with the company for a decade full time now, which is just absolutely insane. It's twice as long as my longest stay anywhere and about 4x my average stay throughout my career. <laughs> um, and it's because it just continues to be fun and interesting and challenging work. I think what we're working on with and for our customers is important, uh, which is using video messages to bring our digital communication to life, make it a little bit more personal, more effective, a number of other benefits. And so uh, prior to, you know, writing a book and starting a podcast and going off on this uh, evangelist journey where I'm evangelizing the problem rather than the product, um, I've sit, since written another book and a half. Uh, but prior to that, it, I was the first marketing employee at BombBomb uh, back when we were, you know, fewer than 10 people and a couple hundred customers. Now we're about 150 people uh, with about 70,000 customers. And so it's been a really f- interesting journey and, uh, you know, growing out the team, like, first of all, like doing everything yourself then starting to build out the team. And then we brought in Steve, who is uh, my longtime friend and team member, our chief marketing officer, and like, you know, building out a a proper marketing function, um, evolving our go-to-market motions, getting more aligned with customer success and with sales. Like there's been a lot over the past decade. It's just been a joy, a struggle, um, a lesson. Uh, It's just been great. And so uh, you also mentioned television. So prior to that, I, I just started my career uh, because I did an internship in television. I ran marketing inside local television stations uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in Chicago, and where I live now in Colorado Springs. So, uh, you know, ABC, NBC, Fox stations are all typically um, corporately owned, but locally operated. And so I ran marketing teams inside those. And so this, the shift, last thing here, the shift from this kind of mass market, mass media, your customers are anonymous for the most part, even though social media started to come on. I don't, I don't know if anyone spent any time in the comments section on a social media post by a local media company, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not very productive uh, or, or intimate or anything. It's, it's generally aggressive and silly and shallow, but um, 
so, so I didn't know my customers. So the shift into, into a, a B2B space, especially using video communication. Um, I, I know hundreds of our customers personally. And, um, you know, even those, even those I don't know personally, I've engaged with a number of ways, even through survey data, product usage data, and a lot of other insights that help us understand people better. And so uh, it's been a fun career so far. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. And I'm sure we could do a whole episode on um, your experience becoming the first marketing hire and growing the company and growing the function of marketing um, alongside the CMO to, to where you are today. Um, that's not what we're here to talk about, but I do just want to ask you one question. What sure. what would you say, because a lot of the listeners to B2B better are in the position that you were probably in, you know, uh, eight to 10 years ago, where they're building out that marketing function. They're starting to see some investment, some belief that it can be a business driver um, rather than just the, the the people who make decks look pretty. Um, uh, so what would be the one, the number one challenge that you think you faced in those early days where you were going from just one person to a, a bigger team, a bigger function with more investment? How, how did you manage that transition? Uh, a couple of key ideas come to mind the way you phrased that. Um, the first was something we did as a group that was very important was, um, you know, we were very clear, uh, but we didn't quite know exactly what the mission was going to be from a functional standpoint, but we knew what brought us all together and what was important, the core values that we operated by. And so I think for folks in, you know, early stage or, you know, entering a, a very high growth period, um, you know, you found prod- problem product fit, you found product market fit, um, and things are really starting to take off. I think preserving what makes the team and the community uh, and the product experience and the customer experience special, and I think a lot of that is in values, um, and, and because th- that ref- that affects what it feels like to be a customer of yours. You know, how do I think about you? How do I understand you? What shared beliefs do we have? Uh, I think the more clear you can be about what makes this momentum special, besides just throwing a bunch of money at the opportunity, that's not particularly special. It is nice. It's a privilege. Good job. You got a bunch of investment maybe, um, or someone, you know, shared that vision. How can we convey that to our customers, not just immediately, but in particular, two years, four years, six years down the road, it'll evolve a little bit, but there's something foundational there that I think needs to be identified um, to its essence and preserved and communicated in some capacity internally and externally. So that's one. Uh, I think the other one is taking care to talk to as many customers as possible, especially early stage. So our early customer base, again, we had a few hundred customers when I started, um, they were all kinds of people. And they came to us for all kinds of reasons. And so, you know, you can't continue to go to market serving all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. I mean, we continue to take business for people that identify that in themselves. But in terms of how you're investing your discretionary time and money and other resources, people and their attention and their time, you have to focus and so the more we can understand and directly communicate with customers, the more we can understand, you know, it's, it's gonna, not going to sound great for me to say it this way, but, it, but it's true at, at some level, not all customers are equal. Mm. Um, and by that, I mean, not all customers share your belief or share your vision or are deriving real value from your product or service. Their lifetime value is going to be a fraction of your best customers. And so you need to find who really is the best customer? Who are we delivering the most value for? What is unique about them? How did they come to us, et cetera? And I think 
um, having more conversations rather than fewer is the best, best path to kind of sort through that because there are a lot of false positives in that. Like, oh, we're getting a lot of momentum from people in this role, or we're getting a lot of momentum from people in this industry. And you can kind of over skew to that, but you know, it might turn out that those are not actually your best customers. Let's move a little bit into uh, the, the idea around video and how video can be used in communications because you touched a little bit on BombBomb's offering there about uh, it's, it's a platform, as I understand it, that enables marketing and sales professionals to create uh, highly personalized um, video messages uh, for, for their prospects. Have I got that right? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, would, I would broaden it out to say almost anyone working in a professional capacity can and should be sending some video messages every day. Uh, and I say that because when we think about our most important and valuable messages, whether they're to prospects, customers, employees, potential recruits, partners, vendors, suppliers, et cetera, all these people that we need to communicate with every day, we're very often restricting ourselves to a form of communication that doesn't differentiate us, doesn't build trust and rapport, and doesn't communicate nearly as well as when we just like look someone in the eye through our camera lens. And so when we think about things like managing emotion and tone, whether it's positive, like thank you, good job, congratulations, sincerity, enthusiasm, gratitude, or whether it's kind of the more negative side of emotion and tone, which is uh, breaking bad news or making an apology or maybe providing corrective feedback, uh, whether it's breaking down detail or complexity by speaking in layperson's terms to someone and explaining it to them, or even showing and telling with a screen recorder. And then, of course, you know, you mentioned prospecting, certainly the opportunity to, to build or enhance personal connection, following on to an in-person meeting, if you've had the privilege of doing that, which, of course, have been dramatically restricted <laughs> over the past couple of years. Um, but, but following on to those moments or introducing yourself to someone who hasn't met you, like building personal connection, all of these things uh, we can do in email, we can do in LinkedIn messages, we can do through Slack, we can do in all these different channels. But doing it with faceless typed out text doesn't get those jobs done nearly as well as just hitting record and talking to somebody. And so um, to your point, we have a platform that easily allows you to record and send videos in Gmail, Outlook, Salesforce, Outreach, Zendesk, drop them in LinkedIn messages, drop them in Slack messages, et cetera. And so, um, of course, the sales motion is a fantastic one because trust and rapport, like if, if you think about the role of a human being in the sales motion now. Um, and you think about what the buyer's journey looks like and what information they have available to them and the ways they can do their own research and the stages, the various stages that they're arriving at a sales conversation in, it's typically deeper along. The salesperson role significantly benefits from having someone feel like they know you and understand you and, and understand your intent and motivation to serve their best interest. Video is going to do that better. Um, but really across the entire customer life cycle, and across the entire employee life cycle, there are countless opportunities to replace what would otherwise be faceless typed out text, sometimes three, four, five paragraphs that you don't want to write and somebody else doesn't want to read uh, with a simple, casual, conversational video. And it, it, it's just, especially across time zones too, I mean, just this, the asynchronicity blended with the human element of video messages, just a winning play for almost anyone, leaders, managers, salespeople, marketers, customer success professionals, product owners, anybody. Yeah. And you touched on a really interesting point there because, you know, I, 
in my role as kind of like a manager of, of a team, you know, I'm often very considerate about the feedback that I'm providing, whether it's on a project or performance or what have you, when I'm typing it out via text. And I find myself having to write and rewrite a message several times because I'm thinking about how that message is going to be received in terms of the inflection and the emotion and, you know, what may just come across as a, what I'm intending to be a, a very, you know, a positive but constructive piece of feedback could for someone who, you know, doesn't see that's the place it's coming from be perceived as actually a very negative and critical piece of feedback that ultimately throws them off skew. So, you know, that, that ability to use video to really convey the kind of the motion and the intent behind the message, whether that is a manager talking to an employee or a salesperson talking to a prospect um, or a CEO talking to the company at large seems super beneficial. Yeah. uh, One compliment and a couple observations there. First, the compliment. I just appreciate that you're taking care to think about the other person and give some time and energy and thought to how is this going to be read? I think so many people are just moving through their day. I need to do this. I need to send that. I need to reply to this. It's just say, 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 talk, 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 tell, 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 type, 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 type. And it's just like, they don't have the patience to consider that. Another observation, um, you know, you want to lighten it. And so you put that smiley face emoticon, well, bad news. Um, <laughs> you know, that could be read as passive aggressive, right? And so this is another interesting dynamic is when we type things up and send them to people, emoji or not, we're giving away control of how that message is read. And by that, I mean, you know, this person you're communicating with, maybe providing some constructive feedback to you know, it's going to make a difference uh, whether or not they just got a great piece of news that their spouse or friend or significant other just got a major promotion versus they just found out that, um, you know, their child fell off their bike and has injured themselves, right? That's going to dramatically affect how this message that you were thoughtful about is read and you don't have any control over that. Whereas if you say it in a video, human beings express their emotions through their faces and their facial expressions in a universal and innate way. We all do it from birth. We all do it the same way across societies, across cultures, across everything. Humans have been doing this for millennia. And so your intent, if you are sincere about the work that you're doing and you believe the message that you're communicating to someone, there is nothing better than you could do than to say it in a video. Now, caution, and then I'll give it back to you. (laughs) Caution. If you are insincere, if you are selfishly motivated, if you don't actually care, if you don't mean it or believe it, um, don't send a video because your face and your body will betray you. People won't know, uh, they, they won't say to themselves consciously, oh, there's a discrepancy between the words that this person is saying and how he is saying it, but they will feel it. They'll know it intuitively. Again, this is how humans have thrived and adapted and evolved for millennia is understanding other people's intent and motivation and making judgments of their own safety. Do, can I trust this person? Are they acting in my best interests? And so, um, you know, for those of you out there that don't really believe in what you're doing, um, don't, don't do video. It will be, you'll betray yourself. Absolutely. Uh, this kind of brings me on to my, my next point, which is I want to kind of frame this concept of kind of one-to-one personalized video as part of the kind of marketing and sales journey. I understand obviously that it can, you know, manifest across all functions within a business and improve communication, but just looking at it purely from the sales and marketing point of view, you know, I think 
I certainly have been a recipient of personalized video um, from from sales uh, folk uh, as part of a kind of cold re- cold outreach effort. And I think many listeners to this podcast would probably, that's where their mind would immediately go to when it comes to kind of one-to-one video. Um, are, are there any other kind of contexts in which video from a sales and marketing point of view is, is best used? And, and when do you know that a, a kind of one-to-one video strategy is needed? Yeah, so I, I would say that... Um... A one-to-one video strategy can be used in almost any sales and marketing function. That said, you know, the best customer experience is an appropriate experience. I do not expect ever to hear from someone at Amazon. It is most appropriate that I never encounter a human being. The only time I've spoken with a human being that represents Amazon is when I had a problem and I needed to pick up the phone because the site wasn't yet. But I mean, that was like three years ago today. The way that they manage returns and cancellations, no questions asked, drop it off unpackaged at this place and they'll, they'll package it up and send it for you. It's like they, they just, so, so there's a caution there. If, but I think if someone is listening to uh, a, a B2B sales and marketing conversation, you need and want one-to-one videos. And by the way, um, just a quick ad, you mentioned a CEO to the entire company. You, know, you can record a video once and use it for a larger group of people. You can also record a video once and use it over and over and over again as it becomes appropriate. So for example, if you say, you know, read this, looked at that, attended this, does not fit these two criteria, automatically send this video message. Um, you know, you can speak in a, in, a, in a relevant specific way to that person. And so a couple of cautions. One, If you're thinking about video and video prospecting specifically from the attention perspective, because it will get you additional attention, it is still different, even though it's been happening for you. I mean, we've been at it for a decade, Mm. you know, we picked up a lot more competition over the last three or four years. um, And a lot more people are are trying it out here over the past even 18 to 24 months. Uh, But it's still a tiny fraction of people who can and should be using this again, for the reasons we already talked about. So if you're coming to this and thinking about it exclusively in terms of getting attention, you are not going far enough and it is not going to serve you or other people well. And I say that because we need to reward and honor people's time and attention. And if we're simply doing this because it's a different medium that's a little bit more dynamic than this faceless text, but we're essentially taking those emails and just turning them into videos... Yeah, it's going to give you a little bit of a boost, but you're going to burn it out. I mean, it's classic. People say like marketers ruin everything. And I say, I add to that now, you know, marketers and salespeople ruin everything because <laughs> the salespeople have the, the essentially what, you know, marketing automation, they have now sales automation. And, and if you're approaching these things simply in terms of getting attention, it's not going to go far enough. It does need to be highly relevant above all to the degree that we can make it truly personal, all the mm. better if you actually mean it even better because someone can feel it. Couple tips, obviously, especially um, if you have not had a direct conversation with this person, certainly keep it short, ideally under a minute. Um, use the text to complement the video. Don't replace all of your text with a video and don't be redundant between the text and the video. Use one line of text to give someone a reason to play the video. Use the video to convey a personal, a personal aspect, give something relevant, obviously. Um, 
provide that kind of excitement and interest and motivation. If you reached out to this person for a particular reason, make sure they feel that difference and then drive a very, very simple call to action, whether that's a reply, a click, whatever the case may be. Another quick tip here for that top of funnel kind of motion, you know, pair a video along with some of your other outreach, pair it with a video message and sorry, pair it with a, a voicemail. Refer to the video message in your voicemail, refer to the voicemail in your video message. Hey, I'm also going to be in your inbox with a personal video. Um, uh, Would love to talk to you because reason I'm reaching out in the video is, hey, just want to put a face in the name. I'm the person left you that voicemail, as I mentioned, blah, 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 blah. So the more we can like make this part of a broader conversation um, again, and I'm speaking very specifically this kind of prospecting motion um, or set of activities, the more we can make that a designed experience where the touches complement each other um, and add to each other and refer to each other, the, the easier we are to be familiar so that when we show up with our from name in an inbox or we are back on their voicemail or we show up in their LinkedIn feed or we show up in another video, it's like there's some level of familiarity there, which buys us a little bit of additional attention. And then if we use that video or that other outreach to reward that attention and provide something interesting or useful, then we're moving farther down that, that chain toward trust, ultimately engagement, and then some form of reputation that gets you the fast track to attention and trust and engagement again in the future. in this kind of reinforcing flywheel where people are like, Oh, I like Jason. Hmm. I like when I hear from Jason, Jason is always so helpful, right? That's what we want people to be able to say about us um, because that's how we get referred. That's how we get introduced internally into a company from a champion to a decision maker, all of these things that we need and want. But if you're approaching video just from a, I know how we can uh, increase our reply rate by 4%, or 10% or 80%, depending on who's writing the case study. There are a lot of like exciting, exaggerated claims around this. Um, You know, this is just, if you do it well, it can be a dramatic improvement for you and your team and your results and your customer relationships. Mm. It's interesting here you talk because I think you know the medium, the medium, relatively speaking, is is somewhat novel. As you say, the vast majority of communications, particularly in that prospecting journey, is still via text. Um, so you know, video is is still somewhat novel in, in that respect. Um, but as you say, you know, it's a trap that you can fall into. You know, someone looking at this saying, "This is a new mechanism." I, you know. I could just record one message and just fire that out a bunch of times to a bunch of different people. And we're going to see that we're going to see that step change in our conversion. But what you're saying actually is really back to the fundamentals of marketing and prospecting, you know, personalization, delivering value, um, uh, that those are the two kind of key, the keys to making this a success. If you're looking at this and saying, this is going to be the answer to increasing my conversion rate because I can create one video and just pump it out a bunch of different times. To an extent, you may as well just keep doing email because you can you know, probably save a little bit of time. You still have to personalize. You still have to find a way to offer that, that value to that person. Yeah. I mean, just a couple other very practical tips there. You know, you can take a video and send it to a variety of people, but again, they need to be affirmative on these three criteria, negative on these two criteria, and in this geographic zone or something like that, right? As long as it, the video can speak to things specific to that person, you can also personalize the body around it because these things all work together. I mean, there's no one magic solution. So if you actually do need... Um, 
you know, we have a, a few different go-to-market motions. One of them is, you know, we will support an individual person who wants to come in and buy a $29 a month account uh, or a $500 a year account, but we'll also support a team of 3000 people that wants to spend, you know, mid six figures with us. And so we have different things that we do for these different, you know, obviously that latter opportunity is a much more personal, truly personal approach where there's a lot of human time and attention where it's very, very specific um, to, to that opportunity at the other end, it's less so. And we just, you know, the challenge for all of us is to find the balance between things like effectiveness and efficiency, um, you know, personal versus personalized. I mean, there, 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 there's an appropriate spot in the middle of some of these kind of, you know, um, polarities that we could draw out. And, and my caution for folks is, you know, I think, um, because the tech is so inexpensive and powerful and amazing and new and tantalizing, um, it's very easy to really bias ourselves toward efficiency and high levels of activity. But what we lose sight of is how it makes other people feel. And that's the foundation for effectiveness. So, um, you know, different people are running different operations. Uh, so there's some you know, you're going to land somewhere on this continuum. I would just caution you to lean more toward, now I'm air quoting for folks listening, the <laughs> unscalable, right? Lean more toward the unscalable just because even a little bit of movement that way, a few extra touches that do take time and attention um, are, are going to be dramatically different than most of your competitors because most people are still just enamored of more, faster, more, faster, more, faster, um, as opposed to what is truly going to connect with someone and make a difference in their day in such a way that it will make a difference in our business. Um, and I think if we can be a little bit more honest with ourselves and stop getting wrapped up in um, the things that are easy to track and easy to rack up and tally and put, you know, extra zeros behind besides revenue, uh, you know, um, I think we'll come to a place that serves our employees and serves our customers better. No, none of your employees want to send 500 prospecting emails a day. And I'm going to guess that most people listening are not in a market that supports sending 500 prospecting emails a day. Yeah. And yet I was in a conversation about an entire BDR team in an enterprise, uh, product sales motion that are sending 500 emails a day. I'm like, do you have any idea what a team of people doing that might do to your total addressable market besides shrink it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you no. know? yeah. So anyway, that, that's my, that's my monologue on that. We talk a lot about that in this new book that I co-authored called human centered communication. Um, and, it, and it's really about, again, restoring a little bit more balance toward what does the person on the other end of this messenger experience really need or want? And if we can just be more mindful of that, we'll behave differently. We'll really truly test the limits of what's scalable and what's unscalable. I think, again, the, the, the way we romanticize the new tech makes us really say, um, that's unscalable. We need to put tech on it. And like, tech is certainly to be deployed in a way that can serve humans and make us more efficient, but it can also help make us more effective. And so we need to find, you know, a new balance more toward the human. Say that I'm sitting here as a director of, of, of a marketing department, and I recognize that the value that uh, delivering kind of one-to-one -one personalized videos across that prospecting uh, journey can, can deliver to, to our business. Um, I need to go ahead and I need to start drumming up some support with my sales colleagues to, to actually get on camera and start creating these videos, but they are hesitant. It's very much outside their comfort zone. They are used to just hiding behind a keyboard and a screen and then firing out 
not 500 emails, certainly, but 50, let's say every single day. Um, You know, what kind of tips would you give to someone in my position on term, in terms of how I can equip those colleagues with the skills and the training that they need in order to create those compelling videos? Sure. I I think the, the main couple, couple key ideas, one, um, you know, it's always appropriate to start with a test. If you have, you know, six sales professionals doing this particular function, send three of them down this road, take some of the existing things, find a couple of spots where you want to establish a stronger personal connection. You want to get emotion or tone correct, or you want to break down detail or complexity. Those are the three things I shared earlier among other options, but those are three really good categories. Um, You know, have three people find two or three activities that, that can have a video incorporated in it. And again, it might be an evergreen video that you record once, put in this email. Every time that email goes out, that same video goes in it, but some of them are also going to be personal. So that's one. Uh, second, I think if between a sales leader and a marketing leader, um, if you look at, okay, we're doing all of these activities, what we're trying to do is generate some level of interest and the, you know, our data will tell us who has clicked, who has attended, who has responded, et cetera. Look for some of those, like most people are doing some form of lead scoring. Here's another very simple experiment. Find the appropriate person. And when, uh, you know, someone with a lead score of X or higher, uh, for example, it could be just that simple. You could add other qualifiers if you wanted to. Um, This person is going to send a personal video and just acknowledge it, thank them and make themselves available. Like um, lead score X, but has not done Y, right? Mm. And we want to help encourage them to do why reach out in a personal way and acknowledge that Um, in terms of the skills. I mean, this is more of a conceptual thing. You know, I I think you could have a convert if your sales leader feels resistant. One, there's an effectiveness and efficiency conversation to be had Two, you don't have to jump all in. You could do an AB test three. You know, this is the, the conceptual part. When you hire these salespeople, what are some of the things that you're hiring for? Are you hiring for things like trustworthiness, uh, responsiveness, um, curiosity, um, persuasion? You know, okay, how well do the voicemails and the emails that they're sending capture and represent that? Are you hiding your best asset behind a cloak of digital anonymity? Probably. And might it be helpful to unleash them a little bit and to have more of what you hired them for present in some of this outreach as a complement to the other touches. Again, you're not going to stop using the phone. You're not going to stop sending emails. You're not going to stop using LinkedIn. You're going to find opportunities in what you're already doing to bring it to life a little bit. And uh, last tip here, something we've seen running, um, you know, we do a bunch of pilots with, with, with different teams that are asking some of these same questions. Is it going to work? How do we do it? What's the best way to get going? Our team isn't necessarily equipped or confident, which is very common, by the way. And so we'll work with people to prove the efficacy of this and to help map all of these opportunities that we know exist specific to their unique situation. So, you know, the way that they're trying to connect and communicate with people. And something that I've observed in being involved in a number of them is that one of the personality types that really leans into this is, is a top salesperson. You have two kinds of top salespeople that I've encountered in this conversation. One is, I don't need anything. What I'm doing works. Mm. I've been the top salesperson for the past five years or 15 years or 30 years or whatever the case may be. 
get out of my face and let me do my thing. I'm producing, you know, 20% more revenue than you're asking for. Cool. That's all right. We're not going to drag that person into it. But there's this other personality type that is very oriented toward learning, growth, development, curiosity, doing something new, not for new sake, but for the challenge and the potential opportunity in it. And so for people who recognize that they are being hidden behind a cloak of digital anonymity, and they want to very aggressively be better tomorrow and next week than they are today. And then they were last week. Um, though that's a personality type that is willing to experiment uh, because they've tried and failed other things before. And so that's not going to trip them up or be a very significant challenge to their you know, self-confidence and some of these other things that we see when we get into this very human endeavor of representing ourselves in a digital form that is still very real and straightforward and, you know, lightly scripted, but not heavily scripted um, of the moment, truly present, no editing. You're just reaching out to people in an approximately vulnerable way, which by the way, your ability to be comfortable in that vulnerability is exactly why someone is going to feel connected to you and engage and respond. Um, So there's kind of like a, I call it the paradox of vulnerability is like the same reason that makes this hard for someone to do out of the gate is the same reason that's so effective. And the more that you try to control and perfect it, the less attractive it is to the other person. And the more it feels constrained and controlled and, um, you know, overly produced. Yeah. So, so much great wisdom there. And my main takeaway, and it's something that I talked to, um, I've talked to in a couple of previous podcasts is about finding your champion. You know, um, I've certainly been in the situation where I've wanted to roll out a new campaign. It wasn't video. It was actually an employee advocacy campaign where we wanted to get our salespeople producing more thought leadership and publishing that thought leadership across their personal channels. Um, and you know, you, you go to, you go to five five salespeople, four of them are going to say, no, I'm too busy. Come back to me next month. And then there's going to be one who says, you know what, actually, there is something here. I do want to be seen as a thought leader because I recognize that that is going to have tangible benefits on my ability to prospect. So, you know, let's work out a plan of attack, figure out how we're going to produce something and how we're going to distribute it and, and let's get going. And wouldn't you know, as soon as you get a win on the board, as soon as that person sends out that first video, they send out that first piece of thought leadership and then they're you know, conversion rates increase by a couple of digits, then you start getting some people knock, those, those other four people knocking on the door saying, okay, give me, give me a little bit of piece of that. You, you kind of, it applies across video for leadership and so many other components of building out a marketing function and gaining that credibility within your organization, find the champions, find the people who are predisposed as you, as you very well put to growth and learning and finding new opportunities and ways of doing things. So I I couldn't agree more. Um, Ethan, this has been uh, a fantastic interview. I just want to ask you one more question, which is what do you think will be the biggest change in how B2B companies are going to market themselves over the next five years? Uh, I really do think it's in this uh, personalization route. We've seen a lot of progress in intent data. Um, I think, you know, obviously data hygiene and really focusing, I used this language earlier, focusing our discretionary time and money on our best, most likeliest conversations and, and potential customers. And we have a lot of that opportunity in front of us already, but I still feel like it's early stages. Some of these systems don't talk to each other well. Most of us still have some data hygiene problems, but I think, um, 
you know, the original philosophy advanced by HubSpot, say, you know, well over a decade ago now of like this inbound approach, um, it certainly evolved, but there are elements of it. This is the key element of it. It's allowing people to raise their hand to say, um, I'm interested and to raise their hand and say, I want to talk more about this, or I want you to draw me deeper into this. Um, you know, some of the principles of inbound, we've obviously evolved beyond like the really tactical stuff because the, the, the tech and the, and the platforms and everything are always changing, but there's an underlying truth there that we don't want to waste any of our time or our resources on people that a don't want to talk to us, B don't fit, um, a legit, true best customer, ideal customer profile that being dictated largely by lifetime value. Um, and I think we have the opportunity to do that, but it's going to require some discipline. And, and even though most people are nodding their heads, like, yeah, of course, that's what we're trying to do. Um, there's also to this idea of, you know, people are still out there mass blasting and spraying and praying and blanketing um, in ways to like beg for attention. And I'm not saying that's, that doesn't work, uh, or can't work. I'm just saying it's less effective than before. And it's not very fun for either party. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I think we'll continue to move in that direction. I know that wasn't a very specific answer, but I think it's around intent and opportunity, good data hygiene, and truly personal relevant outreach, um, that can be done in an efficient manner, uh, but it's obviously going to be much more effective than a lot of the things that we continue to see today mm. as business culture begins to, uh, continues to evolve um, away from, you know, just like the start of my career, mass. Yeah. The trick is finding a way to make it scale. And I think that's what scares a lot of companies that's in it. the early days, because it kind of goes back to the kind of overall point that we've been, you know, um, discussing on this interview, which is it is easy, relatively easy to pull together a list of prospects and just kind of mass blast out a message to them and the hopes that something falls into the net. It is much harder to send personalized messages at scales across the channels of choice for your B2B buyers. And it requires a commitment up front in terms of energy, headcount, uh, budget to build a well-oiled, well-functioning machine that can serve that personalization purpose, um, which you know so, some companies, um, the majority of companies in B two B, I'd think, um, are unprepared or you know unprepared to put up, especially in the early days of building out a marketing function. Um, but those companies that that don't do that are going to increasingly be left. Uh, left behind. Um, so, so I couldn't agree with you more. Ethan, yeah, I know you're, I know you're really trying to wind down, but I want to put that really quickly in language that I think people will understand, like in a, in a really, really practical way, um, because I didn't do a good job of that on the last response. You know, if we say, okay, we need pipeline to be a hundred million dollars because 20% of it converts, you know, maybe the pipeline could be $50 million and 40 million of it converts because we're not tasking people to stuff the pipeline with anything that we can absolutely basically qualify. And, and you know, four fifths of it is failure and one fifth of it. And I mean, it's not all, let's just say two fifths of it is pure failure. Two fifths of it is maybe potential and one fifth of it converts. Um, you know, if we, but, but it takes, it feels a little bit like a leap of faith, but I don't think it needs to be. But if we said, guess what? 
your 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 pipeline generation sales and marketing people uh your pipeline generation goal we just cut it in half but we just also doubled your conversion rate what would that do to your behavior what would that do to your activities how would we have to retool or reorganize or restaff and the, the challenge there is that you know if we're looking at the average tenure of a cmo or a vp sales or these types of roles you know they're all under 2 years and no one wants to undertake that so like that's <laughs> the that's the crux of, of current business culture and the b2b uh, activity that we see and it's there's a lot there it's challenging there's no perfect answer but i would just offer you know when we when you look at the things that you have assumptions on and for me it's this in this made up scenario 100 million dollar pipeline and 20% conversion really does it have to be that way? Is that a good assumption today? Is that a good assumption in 2025? Hmm. You know, is that a good assumption in 2023? You know, so like just, just a little bit of provocation, I think, will lead us to some interesting and better solutions. Ethan, for anyone who wants to continue this conversation with you, where can they find you online? Sure. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to have that. <laughs> uh, I, I am at Ethan at bombbomb.com. You can just email me directly. E-T-H-A-N at the word bomb twice, Ethan at bombbomb.com. Of course, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm there most days of the week unless I am uh, out of the office. Uh, and not, I don't mean that physically. I just mean not working. Uh, and the last <laughs> name is spelled B-E-U-T-E. Uh, it's just so it's Ethan Butte on LinkedIn. Uh, and you can learn more about the work that I do at bombbomb.com, bombbomb.com slash book uh, and some other spots too. But you can email me, hit me up on LinkedIn or visit the website. Great. I will drop the links to the website, to your uh, your email, and to your LinkedIn account uh, in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Ethan, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. If you're in demand gen, a growth hacker, or a B2B marketer, you need to know about Chili Piper. Its concierge tool allows you to eliminate the waiting period between a prospect filling out a form on your website and getting a meeting with someone in your business. Companies like Twilio, Spotify, and Gong all use Chili Piper to double their inbound conversion rates. And the best thing is that marketers using Chili Piper are better equipped to accurately attribute channel spend thanks to a no-fuss, two-way sync between the platform and their CRM. You know I'm a believer in a frictionless customer journey, and this is the tool that can make it happen. Turn meetings into leads instantly with Chili Piper. Head over to chilipiper.com forward slash B2B better to learn more. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It will really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week. This episode was sponsored by Chili Piper.